dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm Jared Rummett, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. This is the second of a two-part episode entitled, Whatever Happens, Keep the Mind of Christ. Rob delivered this message at Unity Free Will Baptist Church in Greenville, North Carolina. If you haven't listened to the first part of this episode, we invite you to go back and listen to that episode first. As always, we'd like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com, where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. And we say there are two great mysteries to Christianity, the Trinity and the duality. There is how can one, there be one God who eternally exists in three persons? And how can there be one person who continually exists with two natures? Those are the two greatest mysteries of Christianity. They're not contradictions. They're mysteries. And that's wonderful. We ought to have some mystery to our faith. A God who is little enough to be explained is not big enough to be worshipped. We need a mind-blowing God. And so we can't understand everything about the incarnation. But if you could have seen Jesus when he was 20 years old, you would not have known that he was God. He would have looked like anybody and everybody else. 25 years of age, you would have known he was a very good person. He didn't break the laws. He was unusually righteous in everything that he did, but I don't think you would have known that he was God. That realization he allowed only gradually to come upon the apostles. It was at his baptism that the power of the Father came up on him when the Holy Spirit descended on him. And then he began going about his ministry, not in his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. He began doing the Father's will, not in his own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts says, Jesus of Nazareth went around doing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he went back to heaven And he resumed his place on the throne and he reassembled around himself all of the prerogatives of his deity. But for these 33 years, there was a very unusual miracle that occurred and that God, being God, also became a man, laying aside the privileges of his deity until his exaltation. And he went about taking care of people as one human being to others, sinlessly, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it's talking about, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form, the word there is the same, the morphe, the essence of a slave. Now, the Greek word for slave is doulos. The Greek word for Christ, for Lord, is kairos. This passage uses both for Jesus. He was doulos, 
and he was Kairos. But here he took upon the form of a slave being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on the cross. The whole secret, I think, of what Jesus did is found in the verse in Isaiah that says, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. God created us, and we rebelled against him, and we've all done wrong things, and that has separated us from him because he is pure and perfect and glorious. And we are not glorious. We have fallen short of his glory. And only God can save us, but only a perfect sacrifice could die for us and shed his blood in order to make atonement for our sins. And so the perfect God had to become a perfect man in order to offer a perfect sacrifice in order to make us perfect enough to be with God forever. And that required humiliation. It required a humble heart. It required being more concerned about other people than he was about himself. It required loving that person enough to say, how can I make their day better? How can I make their life better? How can I save them? What do I have to do? And what he had to do was to die on the rugged cross and give his blood, and he rose again in order that in his death and blood and, and crucifixion, we might have forgiveness, and in his resurrection, we might have eternal life. And all we have to do then is to receive him. Now, we can't imagine crucifixion. I mean, I, we've seen movies about it. We've seen it portrayed. I read back in 2015, there was a politician in Bolivia. His name was Edward, Edwin Tupa, T-U-P-A, and he was a national politician. He wanted to run for a local office, but there was a law that prevented national politicians from running from local office. And Tupa became very upset about that law. He said, it isn't fair, it isn't right, it is keeping me from serving my community. And he went on a hunger strike to try to change that law. And then he went a step further, and he called the media together, and he said, in the town square in La Paz, I am going to let myself be crucified to show everybody how I've been wronged and how this law is incorrect. And they had a cross there, and he stretched himself out, and he had one of his supporters with a 12-inch nail and a mallet, and he hammered that into the man's hand, and Tupa began screaming and anguishing and writhing in pain. And he said, stop, stop, I can't stand it. And he never went through with it. It took 10 minutes to disconnect his hand from that nail. And then he was whisked to the hospital, and he could never go through more than any part of it except, but Jesus was fully crucified in every way, hung on the cross for six hours, shed every bit of his bodily fluids, his blood from his back, his wounds, his hand, his head, his side, for all of us, just because 
he humbled himself enough to help us know how to have a good life, a good day, to be forgiven of our sins, and to have the anticipation of heaven. Now, Paul is telling us here about the preexistence, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the exaltation of Christ. He skips the resurrection. I mean, he just includes it, I think, in the and the whole aspect of the exaltation of Christ. Look at verse 8 again. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also, we would say, resurrected him, but Paul takes that as a given, and says, has also highly exalted him, and has given him a name that is above every name. This is the return of Christ to the throne. This is a picture that we don't really have in the Bible as clearly as I would like. What was it like? Now, we know what it was like from the disciples' perspective as they stood on the Mount of Olives and they saw Jesus rising into the air. He had finished his mission. He had given them their mission. He was telling them now to be like he was and to go on all of the world and to help people the way that he had and to take the gospel to them. But then he blessed them and he levitated into the air and he just, he just floated up like a balloon until he was out of sight in the clouds. We, we see that in the gospels, but they don't tell us what it was like when he returned and took his place again on the throne. The celebration there must have been with the angels, the exaltation, all of the music, all of the songs, all of the welcome back Jesus. I would have loved to have seen that, to have heard that, to have experienced that. He was exalted again and given the name that is above every name, the place that is above every place so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that the one who was doulos is kurios. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it says every tongue on earth, that's all of us, human beings. I think even the animals. I think they, when I hear the birds singing in the trees, I think they're praising God. Everything on earth and under the earth this is the cosmic space of the evil spirits. We're told that there is a place somewhere cosmically, spiritually under the earth filled with demons ready to be released during the last half of the tribulation. And then in heaven, all of the angelic beings and all of the beings and the heavenly host and the divine council and the unseen realms of the invisible everything, everyone, every living being on the earth, under the earth, and in heaven will proclaim, we cannot deny it. He is over everything. He is Lord. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and proclaim him Lord of all. Now, this would have been very significant to the Philippians. About 40 years before Jesus was born, there was a tremendous civil war in the Roman Empire. 
In fact, it was the beginning of the Roman Empire there. It had the Roman Republic up until Julius Caesar was assassinated by Brutus. And then there was a fight by the generals about who would become the leader of Rome and the first Caesar. And Octavian eventually won those wars in the battlefields right outside of Philippi, which is in northern Greece, northeastern Greece. And in appreciation, Octavian declared that Philippi was a citizen city. In other words, he conferred Roman citizenship on all of the people of Philippi. Most Romans didn't have Roman citizenship. It was a very great honor, a very great privilege. It had very great benefits, but it's not like here in America where most of the people in the empire were not technically Roman citizens, but now suddenly this city was. It was an imperial city. So as a result of that, they had a special allegiance to the Caesar, who by this time was Nero. And when they came together for their public events, their sports events, when they came together, for example, we would say today for a football game or for a concert, back then for all of the public assemblies, they were required to say, Nero is kurios. Nero is Lord. That was the cheer that was expected, and the Christians could not be a part of that cheer. They could not say, Nero is kurios, because there is only one kurios, only one Lord. So they were subject to persecution and oppression of being singled out, of being in different ways persecuted. But Paul was telling them here, it doesn't matter what the world says. And it doesn't matter if persecution comes. We can expect problems in this world. But there is coming a day when even Nero will say, when all of the Romans will say, when all of the world will say, when everyone on the earth, under the earth, and in the heavens will say, Jesus Christ is kurios. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we are saying, Lord, you are kurios right now in my life. Now, Paul is giving us this exalted study of the life of Christ, his pre-existence, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection and exaltation, but he is applying it to humility. He is saying he is the model of the kind of person we ought to be in terms of being more concerned about the needs of others than we are about ourselves. It's incredible to me. Paul wanted to illustrate humility. How do you illustrate humility? If someone said, give me an example of the most humble person you've ever known, not someone who was, had a low self-image or an inferiority complex, but someone who really went through this life and they were humble. Well, you might be able to think of some name. Paul here instantly thought of Jesus. And notice this. Jesus became the humblest person who ever lived. 
And as a result, he was promoted to the highest place ever conceived. Could it be that our position in heaven is going to be determined by our humility on earth? Well, all of this is the mind of Christ. This is looking at other people as Jesus did and saying, they need to be saved. We don't say, I don't like them because they're in a different political party or they're on a different team's side or I don't get along with them or they don't have a good personality or they're, this coach is, is hard to get along. We look at these people and say, how can I help them to have a better day today? What need is there in my husband's life that I can meet? What need can I touch today in my wife's, what in the church? How can I help that church to be stronger by the way that I serve other people? It's just a mindset, and it is the mind of Christ. And we can't do it on our own. The same Holy Spirit who did the Father's will through Jesus Christ does the Lord's will through you and me. Just as Jesus spoke the Father's words by means of the Holy Spirit, and just as he did the Father's works by means of the Holy Spirit, and just as he represented the Father in every way by the Holy Spirit, so we speak the words of Jesus and we do the deeds of Jesus and we represent the person of Jesus to this world by means of the empowering Holy Spirit. So every day, We need to say, Lord, I am giving all there is of me to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. My prayer, when I was 35, I gave my life fully to the Lord when I was 19. I was converted earlier. I may have been converted under Bobby Jackson's ministry because he came to my church when I was young, and I don't remember the exact moment when I came to Christ. But when I was 19, I fully yielded my life to the Lord as well as I knew how. And I thought when I was 35 years old, I should rededicate myself to Christ because the Bible says the days of our lives are three score and 10. And I thought, well, that is 70. I may be half over with my life. I want to give the last half of my life to the Lord from 35 to 70. Well, this year I turned 70. So I was at the beach, and I thought I should do the same thing. And I thought a lot about it, and I formulated this prayer. I said, Lord, may all there is of me belong to all there is of you, so that all there is of you might occupy and empower all there is of me. And I want to suggest that prayer for you. I mean, this is a Philippians 2 prayer. Just say, Lord, I want to give all there is of me to you. Have you ever done that? I mean, everything. Have you ever given every part of your personality and your desires and your life and your past and your present and your circumstances totally to the Lord? I want you to have all there is of me so that all there is of you might come and empower and occupy, invade, pervade all there is of me. 
because then the Lord begins taking over and developing within you the attitudes of Jesus Christ. You become more and more Christ-like gradually over time. It always increases as you walk with him. It never decreases. You always go forward. And in the process, you'll be developing the mind of Christ and your opinions, all of the opinions you have about everything, will be more nearly correct as you are looking at everything and everyone in life the way Jesus does. So this is the powerful passage, all 11 verses, that begins by telling us that we can be electrified by the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, just like a house that has never had electricity suddenly comes to life when the cords are connected. And you have light, you have warmth, you have power. Well, that brings unity. There is something about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity surging through us that helps us stick together. It's a, there's a magnetism there. And when the Trinity is at work in a church or an organization, then people are much more magnetic. And that's because they are becoming more humble. So that's all there is in verses 1 through 4. Trinity, unity, humility. In verse 5, Paul gives one phrase for it all. It is the mind of Christ. And then he gives us this great example that we can, it boggles our minds to try to think about it. The one who was and is and always will be, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the almighty God of the universe, thought that retaining all of the privileges of that deity was not worth doing if it meant the loss of his people. And so he poured himself out, took upon himself the form of a slave, a doulos, became the God-man in order to be obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And then God exalted him. And he now has the name that is above every name. And his own example to us, his power in doing that, is what energizes within us the sublime, wonderful quality of loving others in a way that takes care of their needs, lifts them up, encourages them, helps them to have a better day, brings to them the gospel, gives them life, and keeps the kids' kings together. The Lord needs for his kids to stick together. So let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. This is a passage, by the way, worth memorizing. If you want to become humble in your life, then just memorize this passage. It's not that hard. Who, being in the form of God, thought equality with God was not something to be clung to, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of humanity. And being made in the likeness of humanity... He was willing, he sacrificed himself, he offered himself to death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, 
he is now highly exalted at this moment. Up in the heavens at the right hand of God, he is ruling and reigning. He is overseeing history. He's going to bring it to its pre-appointed conclusion. And those of us who know him will reign with him forever in his city and his new heavens and his new earth. And we will forever be saying, he is Lord. Don't say to the world around you, to the Neros of this age, kurios. Say to Jesus alone, you are my Lord. Lord of all there is of me. And let this be your prayer. Father, may all there is of me belong to all there is of you so that all there is of you might possess and empower all there is of me. Well, thanks for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is done by Jared Brummett. Print editing and blog posting by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. And music by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Thank you for listening, everyone. And may God be with you until we meet again.